0: Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your host Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey everyone, welcome to Big Blend Radio's second Friday food, wine, and travel show with the International Food, Wine travel writers association we love this show because we get to talk with the writers talk about their recent adventures uh their craft because they photograph they write uh they go all over the world and today we get to welcome back travel writer julie diebold price she is a professional photographer She's an educator and author, a journalist. She's just had a new book come out too. Uh, but today she's talking about her adventures in Door County, Wisconsin. That is something very exciting to us because we love Wisconsin. We've gone to Madison quite a few times in snow. Uh, we've been there in the spring, summer, and fall. We've done it. Um, and it is absolutely gorgeous. And I think the rest of the country and around the world needs to know about Wisconsin. There's cheese, there's beer, there's nature it's just good living. So welcome back to the show, Julie. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm great, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me again.
0: So am I saying this right about Wisconsin? I
1: I think it's just this,
0: it's this hidden gem of seems like quality of life, quite frankly,
1: when you go to the Midwest, Absolutely. Well, I was born in Michigan. So um, I hail from the Midwest. I was never I never visited Wisconsin when I lived there. And over the last three or four years, I'd occasionally hear about Door County. And so I started doing a little investigating. And I thought, you know, I think I need to go to Door County. I've got to see what it's all about. And one of the remarkable things about Door County is the crime rate, I don't want to say it's non-existent, but it is nothing like anywhere else in the country. The crime rate is nil, and um, the people are warm, sincere, uh, comfortable to be with, kind and generous. So There's no
0: heirs. It's not pretentious.
1: Right. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because I know the last time you came on the show, you were talking about Siskiyou County up in oh, yeah. Northern Cal- Carol- uh, California. I'm in the Carolinas now, so it's like, but by the time this airs, we will be right next to Door County. We'll be in Minocqua. I can't pronounce anything up there, but anyway, we'll be, I can pronounce Madison, but um But it's interesting because you were doing this whole road trip and I feel like you were doing a road trip in Door County too. It has that your story, uh, everyone, uh, Julie's story is up on nationalparktraveling.com. Just type in Door County, D-O-O-R, so people know. You can also go to doorcounty.com to plan your trip, but I'll talk about that at the end here. But it seemed like from your story that you went on like a road trip adventure through this county where can you give us an idea of where it is i know we're going to be up in Minoqua, however you pronounce it north it's but it's north and when i was looking it was like north of green bay northwest of green bay so
1: how yes, yeah if, if it's northwest of green bay so uh there's a thumb of of green bay is in the notch of the thumb and door county is this uh peninsula that goes it's about 70 miles long and only 18 miles wide so you're going to be on the other side of the bay of green bay probably mm. if you're but, north, but of not green- far
0: but not far from door county
1: mm-hmm. oh yeah and it's easy to get to door county from green bay you almost have to go through there and the main road the main freeway goes right up into sturgeon bay And then getting around Door County is incredibly easy. There's two roads and there's a 66 mile scenic byway. So it's very easy to get around.
0: One thing um, I was excited to read, I know you went in the beginning of fall and fall in Wisconsin is just drop dead gorgeous, right? And I know we always talk about Vermont and I've never done Vermont in the fall and the New Hampshire and all that area. So I'm not knocking it, but I'm just saying, what we experienced last year, we drove from Asheville, North Carolina, up through the Appalachians, through West Virginia, Virginia, up all the way to Michigan. We went through your home state. Actually, mm-hmm. we had a really good time in your home state last year. And We went to Coldwater, I think it was, Michigan. But anyway, we we went through all over, but Wisconsin, we hit in the fall. And I think that, number one, maybe that's a plan. Everyone always thinks summer. For for the Midwest, so the fall, I mean both would be a good idea, do you think? For people? Oh, absolutely.
1: They they say that Door County is the Cape Cod of the East Coast. It, oh, okay. But the Door County people, they say, uh, well, I forget how they put it, but County Door, um, Door County is the Cape Cod is the Door County of Wisconsin. It is stunning. And I was, you know, my travel schedule, only I had to, I had to be somewhere else in Michigan on a certain date. So I had to go to Door County, just as the leaves were starting to turn. And I mean, I got one picture of a gorgeous tree. And it was just, I could only imagine, but there are fabulous pictures of, uh, you know, the famous curvy road in the fall. And uh, the Trolley Tours, the Door County Trolley.
0: Oh, I love Trolley Tours.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they have all of the best programs to really see Door County in in depth. And they have the, the Scenic Tour, which you should take first, because it's an overview of all of Door County. And that is probably the best way to see the fall foliage without having to drive amongst all the leaf peepers, but um, they have a lot of different tours that are wonderful. I went on four of them while I was there.
0: Oh, wow, wow. So like when you're doing the trolleys, I always love it because they give you an insight into the history of the area, the nature. And so then you can go, when you're on the trolley, you know, you don't get always the best photos, but you can, you can, but but when once you've done the trolley tour for me, like that's what we did in Asheville, um, it's once you do those kind of tours, even if it's a local tour guide or, or something, once you've done that, then you know where to go explore for yourself, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, there were two trolley tours that took us into Peninsula State Park. And on the trolley, they do give you an opportunity to get off and, you know, oh, no. take some pictures and stuff. So oh, that's cool. Yeah. So that was a really good thing. But I really wanted to go back into Peninsula State Park. There's a, a wonderful new ramp that takes you above the tree line and you can see the whole area for miles. Because I was doing my own little road trip through Door County, I did not get a chance to go back in there on my own. But that should be a must see and do walk up that ramp. So for those, with uh you know if you're in a wheelchair or some sort of disability you can still see and participate and enjoy what other people see and do
0: well and, and that's also for mothers pushing prams and strollers you know oh yeah th- this is something to really showcase i love that you bring it up because uh you know as we travel the country full time on our love your Parks tour, documenting parks public lands and we were doing just national parks, but now we do them all. And our thing was, we kept getting this feedback, well, I'm not a hiker. I don't go into parks. I don't, you know, like, no, you can, you can be, you know, you can just go on a stroll. You can go to a new museum or visitor center and learn about the area, but they have something for everyone because you got to think about
1: parents with toddlers as well, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And grandparents whose knees aren't as good at taking their grandkids. Yes,
0: off. that's right. It's like slow down, kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and we we need that ramp. You know, so they really do. I, I think a lot of parks are very much that way. And what I loved about your your adventures is that you did go to a lot of parks. Uh, that's, yeah, that's why you're on the park magazine. Uh, you know, so going. <laughs> you know, the, but it seems it's state parks, and there's always water in the Midwest. But I
1: always forget that it's a lake. Don't you feel like you're at the beach? It's an ocean. It seems like an ocean. And yeah. it's always felt that way to me. I crossed Lake Michigan, thank goodness, when the water was smooth and the sun was shining. Um, and it was a four-hour boat ride. Wow. But it's, it's like you're in the middle of the ocean. You don't see any land. And um, it's quite an experience in the Midwest.
0: Mm. I, I, we've been to um, Erie, Pennsylvania. Oh yes, uh, State Park and all there, and I know they it borders Ohio and everything, but it's all connected. And you know, Canada's on the other side, waving sometimes. Sometimes they don't, and sometimes we do. Sometimes we, we all do. Come on, <laughs> just kidding. But you know, it's it's um it's it's a whole different experience. And I think they've done so much over the years to clean up the water too. That's something to talk about. And I think maybe that's kind of part of that thing of people don't realizing that how pristine nature is they did a lot of conservation work to clean the waters of these lakes way back Mm -hmm. when from the 70s on through now and now it's a really good uh, conservation and clean water success story that people can go and be part of you know Mm
1: -hmm. in all of these
0: parks especially where is this park that is behind me in this photo if for those watching
1: oh that is schoolhouse beach where there's just those rocks, it's yeah, not it a sand about, yeah. beach. But that's on uh, Schoolhouse Bay, and that's Lake Michigan behind you. Yeah, yeah.
0: So that's the thing about being on a peninsula. Were you like amazed at how biodiverse a peninsula can be when you're you're driving and going to these parks? It's not all the same.
1: No, they're all different. They're all unique. Um, I regretted that I couldn't get out to Rock Island. Because mm-hmm. it's difficult to get to where you catch another ferry. And there are no vehicles on Rock Island. It's off the north tip of Washington Island. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was just too difficult to get there in the time that I had. But uh, they're all different. And they, uh, there's a, for example, in Whitefish State Park, uh, White. Yeah, Whitefish State Park. There, uh, there's archaeology going on there, and they've they've got three different, uh, I'll call them generations of of Native Americans that lived there, and they fished, and they can tell all that with the archaeology they're doing. Um, uh, let's see. So Rock Island is uh, you can camp there, but. Um, uh, and you have to take a ferry to get there. Washington Island is really fun. You take the ferry from Northport in Dorr County at the very top of the peninsula. You take a 30-minute ferry ride through Death's Door. That's how Door County got its name because there were so many uh, um, ship crashes oh. in that area. And there's a lot of sunken ships in that whole area. So uh, there's museums and stuff there that you can visit as well. They keep that, uh, the ferry, in the winter, they use an ice-cutting ship to keep the ice from forming uh, between uh, the tip of Door County and Washington Island because a lot of the residents on Washington Island commute to work. Across that little thirty-minute ride, they
0: go through Death's Door to go to work.
1: Yes, yes, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, and that's where the Bay of Green Bay and Lake Michigan meet. So oh. that's why it's treacherous. But well,
0: part of that, part of those that ship history, from what I learned from Erie, um, and I, I could be really wrong on this, is about um, for your the area we're talking about, Door County. A lot of they used to um, bury their ships back in in the war of 1812 they would bury their ships if they were not fighting to hide what whatever was going on was part of a battle tactic but also like hey we don't need it anymore so they would bury their ships and so over the years uh, these different significant ships they resurface them and clean them up and they freeze over in the winter and so sometimes that was part of it so there was definitely shipwrecks but um, I'm sure the War of 1812 touched that area, too. I'm going to have to go back. and I'm going to have to do a whole other show on that. But the history <laughs> of the War of 1812 is amazing. What was going on over there with England and you know everybody was involved in that. And then what was going on south in the country. I mean, it went all the way down to New Orleans, which was fascinating to me. Um, yeah. But I wonder about that with the ships and the shipwrecks being part of that Um but they're all buried in there. Um, hmm, so it's yeah. interesting. You, yeah. So it's got to be interesting being a boater. You better know your, your, where you're going. Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: And you can take boats over there, but it's not recommended because of the treacherous waters. So, oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Interesting wow. stuff. And this is, it's so interesting because there's also lighthouses. So you talk about that. And, and again, we always think of lighthouses on the coast, but maybe not on the lake.
1: Uh, there's eleven lighthouses in Wisconsin. Uh, I'm in, in Door County, in just Door County, and I think Michigan has the most lighthouses in the United States. But wow. Door County, and and um, one of them supposedly haunted, oh, cool. and that's the one in Peninsula Park. And so on the trolley tour, you can get a ghost tour on the trolley tour, and they take. Oh, I want to do you. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's fun. Um, but you, uh, I went to the, to that lighthouse twice, Eagle Bluff lighthouse. So once at night we were looking for the little boy in the window, you know, the story. And, And, uh, so I think it was the next day or whenever in the daytime that I went there on the other tour. Oh, the lighthouse tour. Um, I was still looking for the little boy in the daytime. So, you know, i didn't see him either time
0: oh you never know though he might you know did you go back through your photos looking for him i did yeah (laughs) ah too bad but hey listen you've got goats on a roof behind you so yeah that's that's cool
1: when i picked this picture i thought that is that has to be probably the most iconic picture of door county because it is so unusual and I didn't know anything about it until I started researching and decided, you know, I was uh, plotting my road trip. And above all else, I said, I've got to see those goats on the roof. And of course, I made it in time because I was there before October. So the goats are on the roof uh, May through mid-October. So it's during the tourist season. And I went there early for breakfast and I stayed for the goats. I I miss them getting up onto the roof. Apparently they're somewhere in the back, there's stairways or something. They don't just throw them up there and expect them to start eating. But um they do have a goat cam. So you can online you can look at it and see if the goats are there and. And, where where um, was just, this?
0: Where, where was this? The goats
1: oh, were. Yes, it's at Al Johnson's Swedish oh, right. restaurant and boutique. Ah. And it's it's Scandinavian. In um, I forget which Scandinavi Scandinavian country, but anyway, over there they built their houses into the side of a hill, and they would put sod on the roofs so that the goats could eat on the roof where they normally live and so the a friend of Al Johnson's years ago I think it was in the 70s he was this friend was famous for playing jokes on people and so the friend tried to get goats on the roof of Al Johnson's restaurant and the goat wasn't having any of it so I think they fell off and I the guy I think broke his shoulder or something Um, I'd have to research that a little bit more to truly remember. But eventually, the friend got a goat on the roof. And since then, it's been a draw for all of Door County. I mean, you cannot go through Door County without seeing the goats on the roof. And yeah, they're in Sister Bay and and right on the main drag. So you can't miss them. There's like one, one main road going up and on on either side so that's cool though because it's also about
0: roof gardens and it's definitely an area that can do that and you know a lot of oh. people are doing that environmentally having roof gardens you could have solar on one side you know maybe not with the goats but uh you know it's 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 fascinating to me i love roof gardens i really really love them and you can definitely do that in the midwest have a roof oh garden. absolutely yeah yeah
1: so what was the food like at the restaurant oh, it was great so I also do restaurant reviews and I'm kind of a foodie and, and I love trying new things, particularly if it's, um, it has some history behind it. Mm -hmm. And so I went in to, and I actually got to sit at the counter, which how many restaurants these days have counters. So it's kind of old fashioned and, um, because they were very busy. And this is very early in the morning. So, uh, I went in, sat at the counter, and I said, okay, I'm writing an article. I need to try all of your traditional foods. Mm. And so it started out with rye crisp crackers and some little things to put on it. And I thought they were cherries because, of course, Wisconsin is known for cherries. Uh, They're one of the biggest producers in the country. So I thought these little red berry things were cherries. And I put it on everything because it was so good. And then um, my waitress said, well, you can't leave without uh, a Swedish meatball. And, you know, she had put a big spread out for me. And I said, okay. And she just let me taste everything that was traditional. So I had the rye crisp, pickled herring. Now, I know some People probably don't like us a real heavy, oily fish like that. But oh, my gosh, it was so good. And very rich in omega-3 oils. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I had that. Oh, and they're they're, um, a Swedish pancake, which is really like a crepe. It was very thin. And you could roll it up with this red sauce that I thought was cherries. Well, finally, I learned that those were ligand berries and they're delicious and they sell it there in their boutique. They have a lot of traditional things, maple syrups and stuff like that. It seemed like I ordered something else, but anyway, I, I couldn't eat all the pickled herring. So what they did, they packaged it on ice for me in a cup so I could take it so I could have it for lunch. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So it was great. Now those people at Al Johnson's, they know how to turn a table. So you never feel rushed there, but the place is packed and there's a line out the door. I don't know if you can make reservations. I don't think so. But um, so you're not rushed when you're having your meal, but as soon as you get up from the table, they've got it cleaned and new placemats, everything ready to go to seat the next person. So- They've got it, it down quick. to a system.
0: Yeah. That's nice. And it's nice that they're not rushing you. You know, that's, yeah. that's important too. But I, I think the berries, I think I, I've, I've seen that in, in uh, Wisconsin too. But also, when you talked about um, the, the Swedish pancakes, we used to have that in South Africa. They were like crepes and they would call them pancakes. And we'd have uh, like syrup, maple syrup, or any, like, we have golden syrup, I think. And um, it's probably maple uh, or honey. And sugar, like powdered sugar, cinnamon was really a popular thing to roll them up. Some people use jam or over here, jelly preserves. Um, But it was, and you could do them savory too. Uh, which Mm -hmm. was also really nice and I think so I know there was like a Dutch Swedish thing going on over over in in South Africa but that's I I grew up eating those and now you've made me quite hungry wanting wanting that but it seems like now what about lodging I mean there's a lot of shopping you say in your articles but um and and eating like you're talking about but what about um where to stay
1: okay I stayed in three places on on the peninsula my favorite was in Sister Bay. Uh, the one that I stayed in, Sturgeon Bay, it uh, was a mom and pop right on the water. Very nice. There's a lot of uh, big hotels uh, in that area. Uh, a lot of vacation rental places because it's seasonal. And mostly oh. May through October. Otherwise, you know, you have to be pretty hardy to go there in the winter. And if there's... Lots and lots of winter sports. I'll let you know what's what happens to us. (laughs) (laughs) I prefer a warmer climate. But um, so I had a wonderful I stayed in a Verbo in Sister Bay Mm -hmm. and um, it was on the second floor. It had a a wonderful little two floors on the play or maybe three. Uh, But I was on the second floor pristine elevator. Everything was so clean and fresh. And I got into the, the condo and the, uh, the great room, the living room looked out onto the Marina. The bedroom had a sliding glass door looked out onto the Marina. And I think there were three other bedrooms and the, the decor was um, contemporary, fresh, clean. Kind of had a uh, nautical motif, and there was a balcony. Had the weather been a little bit warmer, it's a perfect place to sit out on the balcony. They have great furniture that you can set up your laptop on this high stool and just look out over the bay. Oh, nice! It it was wonderful, and it's right on the main drag. Not hard oh, to find. Oh, wow. And it's within a block or two, easily walking distance from the shops, from Al Johnson's, uh, Swedish, and the goats on the roof. You can walk anywhere in the town. There's a little bit of a hill that you have to walk up, but uh, lots of other good restaurants there, too.
0: Lots of restaurants, lots of shopping. So the shopping is a big deal because I think, aren't we tired of just buying the same thing from the same online store? You know what I'm talking about.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I like to shop. I don't like to shop, but I love going to destinations like this where you experience the local crafts, the artists, something unique. Mm-hmm. And whether it's clothing or jewelry or, or knickknacks, I got some great, um, a couple of, uh, free trade, I think that's what oh, it's called. Oh, nice. Yeah. Fair, fair trade, yeah. Fair trade, fair trade, where you can really enjoy something unique. And mm-hmm. it's helping other people maintain their business, help their families to live and exist. And the workmanship is really exquisite. So I, I bought a basket, brought it back. And every time I look at that, I have such fond memories of Door County. I picture the store that I bought it, and uh, the store owner, Sister Golden, um, they have unique products, but also she's an artist. And her art, it, she creates art on paper, photographs it, and then the art goes away. Like she makes little uh, uh, pictures with leaves and flowers and stuff. Right, right. And when she's done, it goes away. So it's not permanent. The photograph is permanent, but not the art. And yeah, that's interesting. I see a
0: lot of that temporary art happening, even in public art, and it's mm-hmm. it kind of makes people stop and think because there's like a deadline on it and, and appreciate it now. There's something residual later, but like you're saying, the photograph. But it's something about waking people up to uh, it, have an experience and. Um, be observant when something's in front of you, you know, yes. you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's appreciative, you know, for that. Yeah.
1: And it's I a don't room. know. I always
0: wonder if it's hard for the artist to see their art go away.
1: I know, <laughs> but she made a lot of it. So I, yeah. you know, I don't think yeah, You that. have to say
0: goodbye to your paintings too, as an artist, you know, yeah. so it's,
1: it's right. Kind of, your little baby.
0: I know it's the arts it's a whole but i love that you're seeing shops with local art i think that's really important um i wanted to go back to uh, the belgian chapels this is something to you know you're talking about culture and eating food and culture of the arts um you went to some of these chapels that i i think are really whether or not you your religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs there's something about the architecture and just having pres- that observance and respect and presence of mind when you go there about um, the the craftsmanship that went behind the belief system.
1: You know? Yeah. Yes. The, uh, the early settlers made these little sheds. It's like a little dollhouse, but big enough for one or two people to stand in. And they, because of the weather, and when they settled in kind of remote areas, they couldn't always get to their church. So they built these little houses, these little buildings. And I I was able to visit three of them oh, wow. and they're always open. Well, I'll, they're usually open okay. and you just go in and you observe. And the first one I went in it was in somebody's front yard. Now, some of them, not all of them, are accessible to the public. But, uh, the first one I went in, i I said, Oh, look at, there were rosaries, there were birth certificates, marriage oh, wow. certificates, pictures That's on the wall personal. devotion very personal. Yeah. And there was a little kneeler, and you could kneel and and um, but I had the opportunity to I photographed it. When I was there, but looking back on it, I thought, wow, that people really care about this stuff and they, um, it's so meaningful to them. So I visited, I think I visited four. one was not open, but the last one that I went to, it actually was created in the owner's garage. And I went up to the door and of course, you know, you just don't walk into somebody's house or garage. And so I went to the door and I saw that there was a chapel there or something. And I didn't ring the doorbell. I wasn't, I, you know, I just didn't. And I was turning around going back to my car and I heard this woman call, oh wait, come back, do you wanna see the chapel? She she had her robe on, she was just gonna take a shower. And she, she invited me in. She spent an hour with me talking about and showing me everything in the chapel. And she dedicated it to Mary uh, because she had gone through, I think, three bouts of cancer. And she felt she was, um, I mean, this woman was now 90 when I met her. Wow. And, and she was also is also a very giving person. They had a, a like a home. They opened their home as um, like assisted living. And those people didn't have an opportunity to get to church. So uh Jan is her name. She built she and her husband built this wonderful chapel with donations from other churches and really meaningful gifts from other people uh, in other churches when churches were being demolished. They gave her all this, it's like a small church. And so it was wonderful hearing how important it was to her and her community Mm -hmm. and what she did for um, other people. And I think they had two or three children of their own and they fostered three or four others. So, and just hearing her whole story was just heartwarming. So that's,
0: that's really fascinating because we've, we've been to some little churches, but I didn't realize it was the chapels. like what you're talking about. And, and we never under, like I've seen them in the desert. Southwest has them. And, I, and a lot of them are going to be more of the Hispanic uh, religious beliefs. Uh, so Catholic mostly uh, from mm-hmm. Mexico too. Um, like Yuma, Arizona has a little church in the middle of nowhere in the desert you know and i haven't been to that one just but there are these tiny churches in places that i always wondered what is what in the world you know and apparently this kind of makes sense especially in the desert you're not going to walk across the desert for miles right Right. You know? so um this kind of makes sense to me now like i've always wondered like what's this tiny little, like, is this for little people? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, do you have dwarfs going in there? Was it the Garden Nine yeah. Church, you know? But I mean, I mean, little, little ones, you know? Little, so yeah. I, yeah, I was, you know, and I've seen them, Um, I think I went to one in Louisiana. It was, it's off the side of the road. And it's not really advertised or you, you have no idea, but it's like these little prayer gardens. I've seen them in the South, prayer gardens and everything. But now it makes sense. I mean, you're going to go through the swamp if you were, way back when, or, you know, before, you know, we take paradise, eat, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. true, right? Um, so yeah. that's really, really fascinating. Now I'm at, my eyes are wide open for these because it is really um, a very deep cultural connection. Like I always say, no matter what your beliefs are, there is a respect for this. And, um, you know, like in Tucson, Arizona, there's a gallery, the DeGrazia Gallery in the Sun. And Ted Grazia is a prominent Southwest artist, and um, he is known as the most reproduced artist in the world. And I mean, he had people, his own community, recreating his art before we had you know, printing presses. Well, we had printing presses, but it was just a whole other story with him. Fascinating stuff, but he put a mission on his gallery grounds. He built one out of Adobe and you go there and people get married there free they just let people do it but you go in there and you see people's notes in prayer for someone who's sick a loved one who maybe have passed on for children getting better little photographs and candles and you like i said there's this an immense respect um no matter what your belief system your, your beliefs exactly. are um right. it's very very personal and it mm-hmm. really makes you stop and um as writers and travelers photographers there's a that's even that you can't get you know that that's a very real when we talk about authentic travel that's part of that I think yes you, you
1: know? yeah and when I saw that it, when I was doing my research I thought I have to go there I have to see yeah. it I yeah I have to make that a new collection did it my- make
0: you stop yeah did it make you stop a bit
1: yeah, yeah. And feel
0: and breathe and and get those stories and then to meet her that's really special I know you never know do you go knock on the door or not like it's like oh it's you don't want to intrude you know yeah Yeah.
1: but you do but
0: you don't like it's like oh you know but people they're on some kind of map or route about it they do it's like the barnyard quilts I don't know if you've I've I've gone chasing the barnyard quilt and then I'm like are we allowed to park on the farm and photograph it, you know, <laughs> but it's on the, it's on the quilt tour, but it's still on their private farm. Are we going to get shot? Like, I know. Yeah,
1: I did the quilt tour of, you know, I collected the pictures in the Tualatin Valley in Oregon. Oh, have, yeah, yeah. yeah. Several, several roads with a lot of quilt bars.
0: Yeah. Once you get stuck in that, it becomes this treasure. You become a little obsessed, like, we must get this tenth quilt. If we don't, we didn't complete the tour, you know? Yeah, exactly. It really gets you out on these byways and to slow down. And I know that annoys some of the locals, too, And you slow down and you're like, oh, this is so cool. But um, those barn quilts, you start to really look at the barns and some of them have roadside, you know, treats you know vegetables and produce you know we did it part in some areas in maryland we did it um out near gettysburg on the the you know the the state line they have it out by tawny town and we've done it all over and the midwest started it ohio started this whole
1: that's um, right
0: right. and then barn quilts are in kentucky uh michigan has them for sure and yes. indiana. indiana be careful be careful of the policemen in indiana they may pull you over when they go from 50 to 55 and 50 again on the speed limits just oh. saying be careful in those cornfields get pulled <laughs> over like i did oh you i'm did. scared to go back oh i'm scared i got i got a warning don't you do this in indiana again i'm like I'm going to go slowly on the highway. And I'm like, I'm not going back for another year until they clear it off my record. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, am I going to get it? What happens when you just get a warning? You know?
1: Yeah. um,
0: Yeah, they do change the speed limits in Indiana. Watch it out there. It's, they go and they wait and they, but you know, but that's. Well, that, well, that's the true travel thing, is be observant, and if you're not, you know, <laughs> yeah. but something in cornfields in me, I start just floating on the cornfields, <clears throat> you know, just okay. kind of happens, um, yeah. and then I kind of speed up, <laughs> apparently, but, you know, this area, like going on a peninsula and slowing down and having these really true, authentic um, moments is, is priceless, and um, I, I want to tell people again, your article is up on NationalParkTraveling.com, which has you know a list of places to experience. But also, um, if you go to the article, we have a link there that takes you to an itinerary that Julie built up just for you. You can go there, link to it. Um, they get to get your newsletter from doing that too, which is really cool because you also not only help people, you know, travel destinations, but photography tips and. You know, a lot of us are running around with cell phones and cameras, but we need to understand. Like, look at the horizon line—is straight. Julie's got a straight horizon line. It's one of my biggest pet peeves: is these photographs coming in that, it's like, you know, yeah, you may have been on a boat, but there are ways to to straighten things. There's such things as tripods. I'm just saying. but, but it's not just for travel writers and photographers, but it is just for travelers gathering memories, uh, putting on social media. Um, you might as well, while you're there, get the best shot you can. Right. So um, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a joy about going on your website. And I wanted to touch base with you on that because I believe you just had an ebook released.
1: Yep. Uh, my second in the series called photo bites. And okay. you've heard, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So how do you learn Photography one bite at a time. So my first one was event photography. This one, it's going gangbusters already. Um, it's stock photography, uh, uh, nine, nine ways to, nine steps to stock photography success. Mm. And you don't have to be a professional photographer to sell your photographs. Mm. And, um, and so I go, I dish the dirt, all of it in this book. So this is not, um, it's a way to work with online stock agencies and how you get your foot in the door and how you can be successful selling your pictures online.
0: Because mm. there's a lot of people that, you know, they're always like, how do you travel the country? that That's a dream job. Well, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And you can't just, I know there's a lot of websites doing all of that, but you've got to, it's, um, you have to, if you're going to do it, you've got to really do it, right? It's not just, yeah. and like you're saying, You sometimes it's going to take those hundred to a thousand photos to get the good one, and um, are you going to license it? Or are you going to not? All of that stuff, but it doesn't, if you're out on vacation and you get good shots, there's no reason why you can't help people, you know, with stock photography, you know, because exactly. not everybody's out. I mean, I think even especially during the pandemic, those who had a bankload of photos, you could have been uploading to stock agencies, right? Exactly.
1: And it's a numbers game. And I don't know about you, but I'm just as bad as anybody else. I have a whole lot of pictures on my iPhone and oh my gosh, they could be earning money for me. I need to get them on a stock agency that takes iPhone pictures or phone pictures. Let me say that smartphone pictures. So even if you don't have a big DSLR camera with a big lens or a mirrorless camera, your cell phone can earn you money. You just have to learn the system and, and keep uploading. And, um, there are, there are pictures for everybody out there. It's amazing the pictures that I've sold on an agency site and I'm going i knew i took that picture for a reason somebody else liked it too so um it's amazing what other people will buy what they're looking for in the way of the photography
0: yeah because it's about articles it's also like backgrounds for like you know zoom calls you know all that kind of stuff right
1: exactly yeah mm-hmm.
0: I, th- I think that when there's photos too that you may go i don't know why And I don't think it's the greatest, but then somebody else loves it. It's the weirdest thing. That one, yeah, (laughs) one person's junk is the other's treasure. I think that's also the same thing for stock photography. You never know what people need or if they're working on reports. Um, There's all kinds of reasons why people want stock photos. And um, I was saying, when I saw your book, I'm like, I'm sitting on a bank load of food photography. From restaurants that aren't even around anymore, that what am I sitting with all these food photos? You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I was just thinking about that with food wine travel writers. Um, you know, what what's it like, you know being a part of IfTWA, the International Food Wine Travel Writers Association, uh, have you done any photography tips for the writers, or are you using it mostly as a networking and media trips place?
1: Uh, last year or within the last year and a half, I actually did a presentation for Iftwa, and oh. I'm actually developing it into a book, uh, Photography for Travel Writers. Mm. And I sh- probably the biggest question is, how do you crop your pictures? Okay, so I go into detail on that. And all I have is an iPhone, or all I have is a smartphone. How do I enhance my pictures to make it look better? And so I address those two issues and those are probably the biggest things for travel writers and travel photographers, but I go much deeper and will be publishing a book about travel writing and travel photography and how it all goes together because as you know, as you're doing your traveling, you're of course taking photographs and you use it for your business, and your writing, and your presentations. So um, so it's important. And when you have the skills, both of them together, you don't have to go to a stock agency and maybe not find what you're looking for. So use so the advantage.
0: CVBs photos all the time that have been everywhere else. You know, the CVBs are always, you know, that's the other thing. There's a value there for travel writers to work with the visitor bureaus or the destination, um, the DMOs, uh, you know, because there's only so many photos that they're getting through photographers too. And when you go as a travel writer, you have a different point of view. You have a different eye going into a place that they know very well. We all see something different and I, I can't tell you how many destinations we've been to and people go, Oh, we never looked at it in that way. And I'm like, well, that's that's why we're here.
1: (laughs) I had a friend that uh, went on a trip to China years ago and she saw my pictures after the trip and she said, were we on the same trip? Well, yeah, yeah, everybody has a different outlook. Mm -hmm. Which is cool, which I think is a great
0: thing. Yeah. But I really, I think that's awesome that you're you're working with IFTWA and everyone at International Food Travel Writers Association, we say IFTWA, it's easier and you can go to their website, ifwtwa.org. Um, so I think that's awesome that uh, you're working with them and the writers because the reality is back in the old school days, uh, we used to have the journalists go out with a photographer and that is what I said, the old school days, unless you're way up there like Anthony Bourdain or something and rest in oh. peace, uh, Anthony, rest in power, dude. Yeah. <laughs> He's one of my favorite people on the planet, but he had a crew. And so that's a different, that's a different deal. Um, for the majority of us travel writers, you better be doing your own thing or traveling with a partner who can help you. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And everyone, uh, for everything we're talking about with Julie, go to her website. It's photo travel right.com i mean like how much simpler can you get you know so go to her website there uh, her ebooks are there too uh, all available on kindle very easy and again for uh door county you want to go to the destination door county site it's doorcounty.com and of course read her article the link there is it's all on nationalparktraveling.com Will be in the upcoming parks and travel magazine, but once you're there, you'll see the link to download uh, the itinerary that she put together. I think that's really cool. You did a whole five day it- itinerary.
1: yes, i I covered so many things, and I thought, well, what if somebody else wants to do it just like I did? And yeah. so I put it in five days, and the the peninsula is so narrow that you can, you can add to your own five-day itinerary because of the destinations are close to each other. So, yeah. And so those are not only all my favorite things, but they're great things to do as well.
0: Well, the way you wrote the itinerary too, people can, mix and match as they want, which I thought was really good, very interchangeable. And this was like, here's a sample of what you can do with links to the parks, links to the places. So everybody's got what they have, whether you know they download on their phone or print it out, it's all there, you know? Right. So, Very, very cool. So everyone, thank you again for joining us here on Big Blend Radio. We have four shows with the International Food, Wine, Travel Writers Association now. So keep tuned with us on BigBlendRadio.com. You'll see the interviews. It's what, second Tuesday, second Friday, third Friday, and fourth Monday. I think I got it straight. But uh, it's all about food, wine, and travel. So yippee, it sounds good to me. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thank you, Julie.
1: Thank you, Lisa. Appreciate it very much. Thank